This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. We are just coming out of uh, 21 days of prayer. Uh, For some of you, yesterday was the last day for some of you. Today would be the last day in our 21 days. But, you know, the heart of deciding that as a church, we would spend the first three weeks of 2014 devoted to praying and seeking God comes out of really the theme of the songs that we just sang. The realization that we desperately need Jesus. That we are insufficient on our own. That we want to be closer and closer and closer to Him. That our desire is not to live independently, to live our own plan, our own way. That our desire is to follow Jesus. And so we basically said that this year we wanted to give up what belongs to God, that we would give in to positive relationships that have an eternal impact on our lives and that we would give out to see that men and and women who need to meet Jesus would have an opportunity. We prayed through those for those last three weeks. You know, there's great humility in prayer. There's great humility in prayer because prayer really is born out of that idea that I just said. It's born out of a, a posture that I can't, I can't fix this. There's so much going on in my life. I'm just not in control. I'm, I'm not the one. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever done much uh, watching of uh, like fighting before. I know some of you have in the back. Because that's what you do. You fight people. And you get paid to do that. I don't know how. We have guys here that are MMA fighters. Isn't that like the craziest thing in the world? Like lock me in a cage with someone who wants to beat my face in. All right? Um, But, you know, probably maybe in the history of of all of fighting, there's maybe never been um, a more charismatic individual than Muhammad Ali. I love this story about Muhammad Ali. You know, back back when... um, Really, television is just emerging and the technology to view um, fights from the other side of the world is, is, is really starting to come on the scene. Uh, Muhammad Ali uh, fought in the Philippines and uh, was broadcast one of the largest television events in history broadcast all over the world. And on, on the flight, one of his flights to the Philippines, uh, I, lo- I love this story about him. He is... Uh, He's on the plane, and the plane is about to hit some turbulence. And you know what happens when the plane is about to hit the turbulent part, right? That the pilot comes on and tells you it's time to, fo- you know, let's buckle our seat belts and, and get ready, right? And I, I don't really understand when they say there's going to be some mild turbulence. That's scary to me. Is it scary to anybody else? Turbulence at all is scary because we're flying in a plane. Thousands of miles above the ground. This isn't supposed to be. I'm in 
basically I'm in a Pepsi can that's going thousands of miles an hour way above in the air, and the pilot says, it's about to get a little shaky. That's scary. But Muhammad Ali did not buckle his, his seatbelt, and the stewardess in um, typical fashion comes through and is inspecting everyone to make sure that they're okay, and she sees Mr. Ali that you do not have your, your seatbelt buckle. Well, he responds to her and says, well, Superman doesn't need a seatbelt. Without thinking, she just responded back to him, well, Superman doesn't need a plane either. You know, there's nothing, nothing that can cripple the newness of Jesus like arrogance. There's nothing that can cripple the newness of Jesus, that can take the great gift that God has given us by making us new and cripple that like arrogance. I'd like to open to James 4 as we get ready to begin today. We're going to read out of 13 to 16. I want you to listen to the principle that James is establishing here. Because he's showing us a way that we should be thinking about life. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry out business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag in all such boasting is evil. Think about that. The two instances that James is picking out and pointing out to us is just simply a person that says, hey, you know what? Next month I'm going to go on business to Chicago. That's what he's saying. Next month I'm going to go on some business to Chicago. I've got a deal that I need to get closed while I'm up there. Just something that simple. And he says that, no, that, that is boasting and bragging. That what we should be saying is, if it's the Lord's will, if it's what God desires for my life, if it is inside of God's plan, a month from now, I'm going to be in Chicago and I'm going to close the deal. You see, today, we're going to look at something that I think is pivotal for us that have experienced the newness of Jesus and want to continue to live in the newness of Jesus. You see, it is far too easy to get arrogant and let it cripple the newness that God has given us. You know, it's easy when we're young, spiritually young, physically young, developmentally young, to think, and I've, I've attained it. I've got there. 
And as God comes in and does miracles in our lives and gives new life, new hearts, it's really easy as we grow and take our first couple steps to think, I got this. I got it. It's kind of like when we were teenagers, right? You remember when you were 16 and got your driver's license, right? You thought, I'm so ready for this. I'm going to tear it up. The world is mine now. And now when I see a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old that's driving, I'm thinking, Jesus, protect me, please. I can't believe that was me at one point. I love this that Mark Twain said about his dad. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant. Couldn't hardly stand to have the old men around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Isn't that funny? That's how we are. And today we're going to look at the power that God has given us and the one factor that can cripple that power and keep us from living in the newness of Jesus You know, arrogance emerges, according to psychologists, for basically three different reasons. One is that it comes out of fear and insecurity. It is an overcompensation for something that we perceive as a lack. That's shocking to me, that when you meet someone who's arrogant, that possibly there's a big, huge insecurity hiding behind that arrogance. That there's a a fear that is manifesting itself in arrogance. The second reason is by pride. That we get arrogant because we have a misconception. The term that that they use is that there's a misconception about ourself, our life, or other people. That we get prideful. Look at what I did. Look at this new life that I have earned. Look at these last three weeks where I've been clean and I haven't used. Look at the last few months where I haven't went out with my friends and I haven't done those things that I was doing before. Look at me. And the third reason that arrogance emerges is out of a desire to protect ourselves. That we use arrogance as a buffer to keep people from not knowing the real us. I don't want to be vulnerable, and so I will extend a personality that keeps you away at an arm's length. The thing about arrogance that it keeps us from receiving from God is that all of that which God has given to us has been a gift. All of it. Every single thing has been a gift. And you know what's unique about a gift? You don't earn it. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. 
It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You see, we cannot earn the things of God because we should never be able to stand up and brag about the things of God. The Bible allows us to boast in Jesus. Look at what God has done, but never look at what I have done. This is not my gift. I didn't earn this. It's a free gift that God gave me. You see, the thing about being Superman is Superman might not need an airplane, but he also doesn't need Jesus. And I'm afraid that as many of us take our first steps into the new life that God wants to give us, that those first steps would lead us to a place of thinking, I deserve this now. I've earned it. Look at what I've done. Really the question is that we're new Now what? That's what we want to tackle today. God has made me new. Now what? How do I stay new? Just to revisit kind of the theme of this whole series is this. That Jesus didn't die to make you a better version of yourself. He didn't die so that you could be a souped up version of you. Jesus died to make you new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have gone, the new things have come. Jesus died to make you new. And it's altogether too easy, this is the, in your notes, it's altogether too easy to become arrogant in our newness. That's why as James is writing his epistle, he includes this exhortation to us. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourselves before God and He will exalt you. don't even have to do it. If you would humble yourself before God, God will exalt you. So today I want to go to Acts 1, Acts 1, as we get ready to look at what is next, I'm new, now what? And I would tell you that as we get ready to read this passage of Scripture, that if we're going to sustain a new life, we must live with a new source of strength. If we're going to sustain a new life, We must live with a new source for the strength that is in our life. Listen, I I, I ran a little Facebook test this week, all right? I do this sometimes with you. Sometimes I'm just tricking you, and some of you all have caught on to this, and it's quite cute when you go, I think this is a trick question, and I love it, all right? But I put, where do you find your greatest source of strength? And the first few people, my friends, my family, my best friend from high school. And then the Christians got in there. It's in the word of the Lord. My strength is in the joy of the Lord. And then after those, those people felt ashamed and no more of those, right? But the thing is, is that I knew I was going to get some of those. 
I knew that when I asked you, where does your really, where does your source of your strength right now come from? Does it come from the opinions of people that they all like you right now? Every, all your family thinks you're a pretty good person right now in good relationships. Does it come from the fact that you're making enough money? I am making enough money. I am strong. Right now, I'm, str- I'm strong because I've made enough money this week. If you look at where we are, I am strong. Does it come because of what you think you can do? Because we're going to look in the Bible and see that God has a different plan. Acts 1, beginning in verse 3. And let me just kind of let you know that as we begin to read the book of Acts, Acts is kind of like part two. The Gospel of Luke is part one, and written by the same guy, Luke is the writer of Acts, and so it's kind of like you're watching a movie that's got a sequel, and so we're picking up right after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Luke begins right as we take up. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 years days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me talk about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And that's a loaded question because at that point, the Jews still held on to this belief that the Messiah was going to take the nation of Israel and build that as the kingdom to rule all. Understand the Roman Empire is ruling all of the known world right now. And he spent, he spent 40 days teaching them about what? The kingdom of God, right? And so they asked this question. Are you going to restore the nation of Israel, this kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's just go back through that real briefly. The first thing that I want you to see today is Jesus is alive. I mean, seriously, guys. Jesus is alive. He is alive. And I don't care what your circumstance is. I don't care what your friend that you're praying for, their circumstances. The power of God over death, as demonstrated through Jesus Christ, tells us that God can take care of anything. Jesus is alive, and that lets me know that there's hope in every circumstance. He went to great lengths to prove that he was alive. Think about that. 
Jesus proved he was alive. He ate with his friends. Jesus is alive. And he told his disciples, you know, John baptized with water, and you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So just back up on that a little bit. All right? The word baptize is actually one of those words that we stole from the Greek. It's so close. The word in the Greek is baptismo. It literally meant to die by drowning. All right? So when John the Baptist began his ministry, this vast ministry, finding archaeological evidence that he baptized people who lived in northern Africa through the Mediterranean Sea and southern Europe. Huge ministry. And his ministry was simple. You repent from your sins, and we will make a public declaration of that. As if you were dying underwater, I will place you underwater and pull you up, and you will be baptized. As if you just drowned and a new person came up. Jesus says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wow. I don't even know what that means, right? And that's what they're thinking. What does that mean? I don't get this. I mean, I get the, like, I just went underwater and I, I get that imagery. But Jesus is saying, in the same way, that there was the old that is dead and the new that comes alive. By the power of the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes over you, there will be the old that is dead and the new that is alive. You will be submerged in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 8, Acts 1-8, which is very important to us. If you've ever been through Church 101, we break that down for you. Jesus tells us this massive plan broken down into one sentence. That you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. That you will receive power. The power will not be yours. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then... You will be my witnesses. You will be people that folks look at and go, wow, that life, the way that you've navigated this tragedy, the way that you dealt with that success, all of the things that I see going on in your business, your home, your personal, I see Jesus. You will be my witnesses not you will be my prophets. Not you will be my preachers. You will be my witnesses. And what does a witness tell? Their story. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit will come on you and empower you to live a story that you could never live outside of God. So I would tell you that the grandest invitation 
of what's next, God has made me new, lies right there. So now what? Now what? What are our next steps? The first thing that I would tell you today is that humility is the sustainer of new life. Humility is the sustainer of new life. It is not accomplishments. It is not task. It is humility. The posture that we recognize that God alone is the one that gave me this gift. He is the only one that can keep it alive. Because it is God's power that makes you new. It is God's power alone that makes you new. Let's go back through some verses that we've referenced the last few weeks. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. It's not me. It's Jesus inside of me. Colossians says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Luke 9, 23, the words of Jesus, if any of you would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. It's no longer my way, my path. It's now God's way, God's plan. I'm following Jesus. It's not my will. It's God's will. It's not my strength. It's God's strength. It's no longer me. It's God. Mark 8.35, again, the words of Jesus. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. There is no way to live our plan do it in our own strength, and it end up well. Listen to me. There is no way for us to live our own plan, do it in our own strength. It's never going to end up well. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life, for the sake of Jesus, if we would surrender our will and our intentions to God and say, God, it's all yours. Come and use it. Then it will be saved. The first chapter of Acts gives us an invitation into something that before Jesus we never had. John will baptize you in water, but in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. You see, 
God has given us a new strength, a strength that we never had before. And whatever was your strength before, whatever you leaned on, whatever you rested in, all of a sudden, because of the newness of God, needs to be realigned. And if we get arrogant in our strength, if we get arrogant in our newness and we try to do it on our own, we'll fail. We'll fail because we've never been able to do it on our own. So what do we need to do to live in the power of the Holy Spirit? The first thing that I would tell you is that the power of the Holy Spirit is not for you. The power of the Holy Spirit is not for you. I mean, it is for you, but it's not for you. It is for you as in God came and made you new through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's a subtle subtext in Acts 1 when it describes what Jesus had been teaching them for 40 days before he drops those nuggets on them. He had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. That God was going to build a movement on earth that was going to change lives and see people that are far away from God restored back to right relationship. And he says that you will be my witnesses. This power is not for me. This power is not for me. You know, the gifts of God are for us to use to bless other people. Think about that with me. The gifts that God has given us, while they bless us, they have been given so that we would in turn bless others with them. See, most of us at times try to hijack the gifts that God has given us. It's kind of like if we both had to go to a birthday party tomorrow and I wasn't going to be able to make it, but I gave you a present and said, hey, here's, here's, I can't make it over there. I've got another appointment. Could you please take this present for me? And you put it in the front seat, and you were driving down the road, and you start looking over at that thing. That's a pretty big box. wonder what's in that thing. I'm going to peel back the paper. Ooh, that's a new set of cookware. I've been needing a new set. He's never going to know. I'm just going to take this thing home. I'm going to put a little something in a bag and, and give it to him. And look, look, just so they know they got a present. So, you know, but I'm going to take this cookware home with me. Then you invite me over for dinner a few months later. And I'm like, what? That looks like the same cookware. Ah, uh, you, you know, we do that. Because the love of God that God has given us is not just so that we would feel like a big teddy bear. It's so that we would have the capacity to love other people. The mercy of God that God has given us is not just so that we could experience the mercy and forgiveness of God. It's so that we can be merciful and forgiving. The second thing is the power of the Holy Spirit isn't meant to inflate our self-worth. It actually should reveal Jesus. 
The power of the Holy Spirit is not meant to inflate our sense of self-worth. It should reveal Jesus in verse 8. Jesus says that when you receive power from the Holy Spirit, you will become witnesses to me. The story that is being written through your life will look and point to me. see, in Ephesians, when we read out of Ephesians 2, the Bible says that salvation is the gift of God. It is a gift. It is something we can't earn. And in Acts 1, Jesus says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem for another gift. It again is something that we cannot earn. And if we ever think that we can earn it, it will over-inflate our sense of self-worth and we'll put value in the wrong place instead of staying humble and recognizing that it is only by the power of God. It is only by the mercy and sustaining power of God that we can live in the newness of God. So, number three, the only way to stay new is to give away what God has given you. The only way to stay new is to give away what God has given to you. In the Old Testament, as the children of Israel are escaping out of the clutches of Egyptian armies as they pursue them. They rebel against God and God punishes them by sending them into the desert. And there are things that most of us would recognize that we would need if we were in the desert. I'm going to need some water and I'm going to need some food. And God took care of them. As a matter of fact, their food supply literally rained down on them at night. I've never had food rain, ever. Never been like, go out in the morning, there's like Subway sandwiches everywhere. That would be an awesome day, right? I wonder if you could like direct mail order that stuff, you know? I would like a bunch of tuna subs outside. Um, But that's what happened. Every morning, manna, as it's described, fell from the heavens to the earth, and they would go out and pick it up. But you know what was unique about manna? It had a 24-hour shelf life. It wasn't good the next day. It, It wasn't going to be good the next day. They had to go out and harvest the same stuff every single day because God was teaching them that you can't store this stuff up. You can't hoard. You can't sit on the blessings that I give you and ever have them matter in the kingdom of God. The only way To stay new is to give away what God has given you. Look at this. 
Deuteronomy 8 as Moses is remembering this moment. You see, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God demonstrated for us. And he continues to push us in a life that recognizes that if we're going to stay and live in the newness that God has given us, the only way we can do that is to recognize that the power of God is the only sustaining factor in that whole equation. That we need to be humble. That we need to be humble before God and not think that we deserve it. Not get arrogant in what God has done in our lives. And realize that the gift that God has given us was meant to be given away. That God wants us to make an eternal difference in the life of somebody else. Let's pray. God, today is... As we pause to reflect over what you've taught us today, that you want us to be new, but you want us to stay new. And that the only way that we're ever going to stay new is to stay new in the power of God, that your Holy Spirit alive in us is going to keep us new. And so we look to you today, and we humbly humbly recognize that out of all of our work and effort, God, we could never earn what you want to give us. So we're going to pause just for a moment. Nobody looking around, no head up, nobody stirring. And maybe, maybe that's been you. Maybe you felt like you could earn the favor, the love, the forgiveness of God. You've been trying. And at times you felt maybe pretty good about yourself and maybe sometimes not so good. Maybe today you come in trying to be a little bit better, but you recognize that God doesn't just want you to be better. He wants to make you new. In either case today, all we need to do is to look to God and to surrender our will and say, God, I don't, I don't want to be arrogant anymore. I just want to humbly lay my life down and follow you. If that's you today, I'm not going to ask you to do anything more. But if you would say, hey, I'm tired of trying to earn the forgiveness of God or I really want to be new. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? Anybody else? Is there anybody else that would say today? And for those that are in the room that have experienced the newness of God, 
those that have been trying to do the right thing and to navigate this thing, but maybe not getting it right all the time. Maybe on the border of thinking, I could get it right if I tried hard enough. But today you recognize that you can't try hard enough, that there's not enough effort for you to put forth, that you need to trust Jesus and humble yourself and let Him be your strength. Maybe today there's some of us that just need to say to God, God, I've been really weak, but I need you to be my strength. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? So God, for those who've raised their hands and those who have said today that they want you to be their source of strength, not other places, not other things. God, we look to you humbly and ask that by your power you would lead us guide us in the name of Jesus shelter us amen